that's the most exciting opening music I've used so far on this podcast. Welcome to episode number 20. Proper introduction coming up in a second. Hello, you're listening to an adequate podcast by me, John Paul Flintoff. It's about creative self-expression through writing, drawing and speaking. And it's adequate because I can't do perfect. So one thing I thought I might do in this episode is give you a sneak preview of something which isn't out until next Wednesday. That's not tomorrow, but Wednesday the 17th. It's something I've written for the blog on The Idler. Um, I love The Idler. I love Tom and Victoria who run The Idler. Very kind of them to ask me to write something. But I thought because you are such a special person, oh listener, uh, I thought I'd treat you to something early instead of in the last episode being late so here we are it's a shortish piece and it's fairly self-explanatory I think it's uh, provisionally entitled and I don't know what they'll call it when they put it on the glorious idler blog but my provisional working title was the pleasures of copying out great writing by hand and I think you'll agree that's a very snappy headline Right, okay, so it says, this is how it goes. It's got a drawing in the middle, one of the drawings that I made um, for that book that I've mentioned in the past that's just come out, written by me. Excellent book, check it out. And uh, I won't try to describe the drawing, I'll just read on and you'll have to guess what the drawing is. Okay, this is how it starts. Is it madness in this digital age to copy out writing by hand? Too much like hard work? I thought so but I've changed my mind. As a young man, Hunter S. Thompson typed out The Great Gatsby, the entire book. In fact, he did it more than once because he wanted to know what it felt like to write a masterpiece, he said. Well, a hundred years earlier, practically every writer did something similar, gathering verbal wonders in a commonplace book to play around with and rehash in their own work. One who did that was George Eliot, whose commonplacing I inspected at the British Library roughly a year ago when I was researching the book. Following her example, I filled by hand four narrow-lined notebooks at roughly 200 words per page over 488 pages. That's more than 95,000 words written by hand. Now, if that sounds nothing like idling, note to listener, this is written for the idler, If that sounds nothing like idling, please note that scraping it out in my spidery script turned out to be like carving it into my brain and helped me to write my published book in less than four weeks from, as it were, start to finish. Although actually, a little aside to you, oh dear listener, I had already pretty much planned what I was going to write when I wrote the proposal. Okay, let's get back to that blog post for the idler. No digital archive has ever worked like this writing by hand for me because without internalising anything, I forget it as soon as I press click. Now, by a tradition that goes back to Dr Johnson and indeed to Shakespeare and well beyond that, commonplace books were filled with two kinds of content. There would be rhetorical devices of various kinds with examples because they all have different functions and different effects and stories or information relating to your own particular line of work or study. 
Taken together, these ensured that the book's owner would never be lost for material, nor for the best way to express it. And by the way, about rhetoric, which has a bad name these days, it's neutral, it's a tool. What matters is the use to which you put it. To hate rhetoric is like hating a frying pan, just because it's possible to hit somebody on the head with one. I learned about commonplace books relatively late, but I realised looking back that instinctively, as a young writer, I used to copy out sentences I admired and adapt them to my own needs. I can still think of some. This is me riffing off the idler blog now, just talking to you, oh dear listener. Um, I can remember a couple of sentences, for example, that I picked up from uh, Martin Amis, on whom I was very keen back in the day. And I used to use those little lines and phrases in my journalism quite a lot. I'm I'm still very grateful to him for those lines, which I, I feel helped me to uh, establish my own voice by playing around with his, as it were. Anyway, so I, I used to copy out sentences. This is back to the idler blog. Sorry, I am coming and going, aren't I? I used to copy out sentences I admired and adapt them to my own needs. Allow me to give you an example. This opening sentence by the great short story writer William Trevor is taken at random from my bookshelf. He did not, he said, remember the occasion of his parents' death, having been at the time only five months old. This is, this is how I rehashed that line to apply it to a certain person in my family, semi-fictional. She didn't, she said, know how the glass got broken because she always hid in the loo when it was time to wash the dishes. Now, I know that if you're listening to this podcast, you can use the old go back 30 seconds, go forward 30 seconds or whatever it is, and you can compare those two sentences to your heart's content. You could even have a go at writing your own version, or if you can't be bothered to write, then you could just say it out loud. I wrote it fast, that example. Uh, I wrote it so that I would change the the original as little as necessary, because the point of the exercise was to internalise the structure. The Greeks, who first classified figures of thought and figures of speech, didn't invent sneaky new forms of discourse. They just zipped around the place, taking note of what seemed to work and what didn't. And then they pop labels on the various categories. There are hundreds of different types of uh, rhetorical device. Some of them uh, have got Roman, Latin names. Some of them have got Greek names. Some of them have got English names. And we're constantly inventing them. One of the new ones that you come across quite a lot is the humble brag. I don't think there's Greek for humble brag. There probably is, but I haven't come across it. So in my commonplace book, I have allocated pages to a few dozen of the most useful of these devices. And when I find something I like in a book or a newspaper or the latest idler newsletter, I write it in my commonplace book by hand. Train spotters catch notes of trains they've seen. Twitchers look out for birds. Me, I collect brightly feathered sentences. And then, of course, it says at the end of this marvellous blog post, which you've heard in advance of it being posted, it says, A modest book about how to make an adequate speech by John Paul Flintoff, that's me, is published by Short Books. It must surely go without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. And by the way, there's a rhetorical term for doing what I just did saying that it doesn't need to be said and then saying it anyway. 
Um, it goes without saying that writers aren't the only ones who keep a log of bits of content that might come in handy, as well as formats for how to serve it up. For a writer, that's a rhetorical term. For a chef, that might be a way of cooking it. And I've just recently actually been going through a lot of cookery books, scouring the introductions for any hint that those writers of those cookery books keep notebooks full of their ideas and recipes. And it's been very exciting. I may come back to that and share it with you sometime, but I'd just like you to notice that because my subject is notebooks and keeping a record I wrote down in my commonplace book something about writers of cookbooks keeping notebooks so whatever your field is you may want to make a record of things that are useful to draw on in the future thank you for listening to an adequate podcast with me john paul flintoff if you want to hear more episodes on this theme of self-expression, please subscribe. I'm very keen to make this podcast interactive. Send me a comment or a question, and I'll try to build it into an upcoming episode. Bye for now.